to the world. I mean, I know a lot of, you know, jerks that travel, right? So it's sort of, it's what you, it's what you do with those experiences. Yeah. I, feel like. so I think that Hello and welcome to episode 149 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rock star, but on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my 20-year journey from sysadmin to CMO and share the marketing street knowledge that we hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com. It's Saturday the 14th of January. Hope you've had a good week. As you can hear, I'm still recovering from a cough, but I hope you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, we are back to our normal playlist. I join Jeff Clark in the marketing studio. I go backstage, the owner of Denver-based brand and marketing agency, three over four, Aaron Templer, and I wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> On to our first act, the marketing studio with Jeff Clark, our resident rockstar CMO advisor and former research director at Forrester Serious Decision. Ian, want to come in to the studio? Yeah, we need, <laughs> hey, we need you, to have a door opening. I know, I do <laughs> say that every episode, I should add that in. So um, thank you very much, Jeff. And also welcome to you to Rockstar CMO FM again this week. How are you? I am doing well. I think, you know, get, getting over the uh, colds and all that from mm-hmm. uh, the holi- the post-holidays. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, looking forward yes. to getting on with 2023. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hit with, as you might be able to hear, I've been hit with the cold cough thing, uh, uh, which is annoying. It yeah. is annoying. It is annoying. It you will get through it. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. I do plan to <laughs> schedule it for tomorrow or Saturday when yeah. you when you're yeah. pulling all this together. Yeah. No. Absolutely. All right, mate. So this week uh, we are going to return to a topic we've discussed before, which is uh, which is art, awareness, revenue, and trust. So in episode 143, we discussed the art of the campaign. And art being awareness, revenue, and trust, which is I, I've been banging on for a while, um, which are the which I consider to be the goals of marketing to stop us from being thought of as the colouring in department. Because I think if you can focus on those metrics, you're going to get the attention of C-suite. 
But you, because you've got all this experience and knowledge and things, and <laughs> way smarter than me, you added a fourth element, enablement, which not only added an E to art, so it didn't ruin the thing, because <laughs> yeah, now so- it's all classy, right? Um, but another goal of marketing, which is to get everyone aligned behind those goals. So, Absolutely. So, so we're starting there with, um, with the art the art of marketing. Now, this week, we're going to discuss campaigns. And you've taken this idea further, again, because you're smart and everything, um, and <laughs> thinking about this from an integrated campaign perspective, we need to cover all four of these things, uh, plus the fact we need to toss in their customer needs somewhere, because we're always talking about that too. So how do we wrap these concepts together, awareness, revenue, and trust, and enablement, and firstly, why is it important that we need to do that? Don't we just run campaigns, get our list, and tell them what we think of ourselves? Hit the button uh, and, why is and go. <laughs> and go. So what say you, Jeff? I, you know, I say that it's, uh, I mean, this is all about um, putting a stop to the uh, random acts of marketing, the yes. things that don't really deliver value. So as much as I think you're, you know, you're, I totally agree with you with the, you know, placing <laughs> awareness, revenue, and trust as you know top goals of marketing. And yeah. if you and if you if you take it down to uh, the level of well, what are we doing? What's our activity? Well, you know, we, mm-hmm. we loosely describe our activities running campaigns, and it's like what yeah. what I certainly believe what I advocated when I was at Force Serious Decisions with many customers was that you should be wrapping most of your activity into a small set of campaigns mm-hmm. each campaign focused on you know a customer need at the highest level mm-hmm. and as you define it and so you know a, you know small to mid market company is probably going to have two three four five you know mm. need, basic needs that they addressed and so let's build the campaign around that and put most of our effort into those small set of campaigns focused on a customer need. And so one of the reasons for adding the E um, <laughs> is that, is as you, you kind of teed up, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we need to get everybody on the same page. We did, yeah. you know, we did so much information on understanding these needs, how we should mm-hmm. message to them what, you know, where our buyers are and, 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 mm-hmm. and you know, that's important to sales. It's certainly important as as we do it in an integrated campaign. So integrated mm-hmm. campaign, we're going to have lots of people involved behind the execution of this campaign. We need to get all them on board. So enablement becomes a really key element to the campaign. The person who's going to run this campaign needs to say, well, what do I need to do to bring everybody up to speed? Our okay. marketing team, our sales team, our mm-hmm. partners, if I were running through a channel etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> all right so that's stated you're stating your case for enablement again mate and um i know from looking at the notes we've got a lot to cover this week so absolutely enablement is part yeah. of this and um, the other thing and um maybe i'm going to slow us down a little bit here and i don't mean to is because i think you define campaign as this much higher level things than some people think of campaigns because some people think of campaigns as an email marketing campaign or a social campaign or something like that it's a you know it's a smaller thing but for you a campaign those are activity i can't remember how you described it they're like activities within a campaign right so you're going to have a absolutely yeah yeah yeah. absolutely you're you're, you're trying to create a, a large umbrella Mm-hmm. That has that that is encompassing most of the uh, activity yeah. that's focused on the need and the customer segment segments, mm-hmm. perhaps yeah. that are that you're addressing with that need, 
and you're yeah. you know by putting more wood behind uh fewer more effective arrows to be cliche yeah. you're yeah. you're you're creating something that's going to have more of an impact it's going to yeah. be more efficient for marketing because you again you get yeah. you get people working on the same yeah. the same larger project as opposed to all their individual pieces and yeah. and one of the great things is you're going to make it measurable because you can say from a budgeting perspective, I put, mm-hmm. you know, I put $2 million into this campaign to help mm-hmm. people understand that we have the best ABC mm-hmm. solution in the market mm-hmm. that meets certain set of needs. And I drove out of that, and this gets back to your, you know, your mention of mm-hmm. OKRs. I drove a certain amount of revenue. I drove a certain increase in brand preference or awareness. I drove a yeah. whatever increase throughput through the channel. So, it's very hard to measure the effectiveness of in a business terms of, you know, a webinar, an email, yeah. a particular event. Um, but as you aggregate the activity up to a larger, you know, mm-hmm. bucket or larger umbrella, now all yeah. of a sudden I have a much easier case to say, I mean, it's not necessarily going to be, it's, you know, there's going to be some difficulty in actually trying to pull all the analysis to get it together, but it's a much yeah. easier case to say, I put X into this, and I drove yeah. Y out of it. Yeah, and that's really what I was thinking about with art as well, is that, um, you know, you can measure awareness, you can measure revenue, and trust is a trickier one to, to measure, because I think you're right. It's it's kind of like um, preference, and it's probably, you know, um, th- those kinds of preference scores about whether you'd recommend and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably harder to measure, but I completely agree with that. And also to your point about stopping the random acts of marketing, now, I think, and oh, God, I'm going right off piece here because it was really interesting <laughs> what you're saying. No, you're really, it's really interesting because this idea that we focus on on like a number of campaigns and a small number of campaigns is really quite difficult because when you're in an organization and you're talking to sales, those guys will have, um, they will, ha- you know, they will have six different personas they want to sell to. They will have nine different industries they want to do. They have 15 different product suites and they want all of it. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think this idea that we refine down, it's very hard to know what you should say no to. Right. It um, yes. Or it's a better way of packaging <laughs> what you can say yes to. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is that when you so one of the challenges with with taking this focus is that you're and, and if you if you take the focus off or put it on customer needs orientation as opposed to a more typical product solution orientation then you've you've got the the battle of well you know are you driving revenue for you know this product that product blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to do the exercise that says well with this effort we're putting into these customer needs we are going to be impacting the sales of these particular products and you know, at some point in a future show we can go over kind of how you you do that math. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get into the various slicing of, well, you know, we've got so many different industries or we've got so many different, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, comp- size companies, you know, there's a small market, there's a small business market, there's a medium sized business market, there's a big enterprise market, there's a global, you know, so you can, you can also do the same exercise, which say, well, these are the things, right. this is, as we build the campaign, we've got this big customer need and we're going to break it down and we're going to break it down because we've got a, yeah. an enterprise mid-market and small market right. versions <laughs> of the campaign. And by the way, those yeah. are going to drive this product, this product, and these products. So you've, you've got to build, this is what requires a lot of kind of upfront 
you know, metal work because you kind of build the hierarchy that shows you're covering the bases of the business. Obviously, you'll have to do, uh, you know, prioritization because when you get mm. anything in marketing, I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to touch every persona in every segment with every message it's mm. effectively. So uh, there is prioritization, but the prioritization should be agreed upon right. with sales and your product units as well as with within the marketing team. Right, right. But also, I think to go to um, just to get to the next point about how we how we actually go about doing this. I mean, I think we need to have that conversation again, don't we? I think it sounds like that campaign structure is probably a conversation all on its own. It is. So this this is. Yeah, I think if we go to our needs, I think just to try and get us back on track with what we agreed we were going to talk about. I think the customer needs should dictate that. Right. Because we want to. You know, we we want to be product oriented. We want to be customer oriented, not product yep. oriented, right? Yeah. And 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 that's where you have to start. You know, when you're doing this planning mm-hmm. process, and 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 yeah. this does require, you know, a, a probably a longer planning lead time than yeah. than just saying, okay, you know, I've got the budget split up by different functions. You guys go create your plans. You know, yeah. go to it. Um, that's not a very effective, but it is kind of <laughs> expeditious, I guess, yeah. if you will. But you, yeah. you the, what you need to start with is let's let's kind of build the map of the needs that we as an organization serve, and yeah. let's look at how those mat those needs are. Um, I guess I would say splintered across various uh, segments that we serve. You know, whether that's industries or business size or you know public sector, mm-hmm. non public sector sector. You know, in, uh, current customer, new customer. So there's a variety of ways that we can we can sort of create the hierarchy. And let's define one that we're going to build the campaign, this integrated campaign around, and start the planning process. You know, kind of going through. So, what are the business goals within this this segment, this need segment that 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 roll right up to our CMO's goals? You know, what are the who? What's the team I need to create or pull together in order for me to to plan and execute on this 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 particular integrated campaign? Where's the where's the money going to come from? So, how are we taking the marketing budget? You know, like I, like I said, one of the things that that you know, ideally with this is that the CMO can say, you know, you gave me, you know, I'll just say ten million. You gave me ten million dollars to work with. There's a certain amount of money that just goes to the staff and basic services and things like that. And I'm going to take sixty, sixty-five percent of that spend, and I'm going to put it across three campaigns. And so now I'm going to give a, a, like a global campaign manager, you know, who's going to run campaign A. And B and C, and I'm going to say you've got you know you've got X amount of money, you've got X amount of money, you've got X amount of money, um, and now we're going to build the plan around that and, and you know, pull the team together that's going to help you execute on that, and and then let's talk about the outcomes so that we can make sure that our high level outcomes in our marketing planning process uh, are the sum of the outcomes from these this small set of campaigns. Okay, that was that was quite the speech. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if, if you were going to come up for air there for a minute. There. Um, I was going to ask you where we start, but you've kind of dived right into to everything. I dive. I, well, yes. Um, looking at the notes, you've defined four steps, right? Which is define the customer need for the campaign focus. So we talked about the customer need, so that's cool. And then determining the business goals, which is what you were just talking about there, right? That we mm-hmm. need to define 
what it is the goals are within each of the um, segments that we're going to be targeting the campaign against. I'm lucky because I can see the notes, readers can't, listeners can't see the notes. But but you also talk about creating the campaign team. So what? So what do you need to do there? Well, the the you know I think the the first thing is to establish you know the 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 team needs a leader uh, needs somebody who's you know not only understands the company and its solutions mm-hmm. and its customer base but is is very business savvy because they're they're going to need to have lots of discussions across aligned functions sales product teams etc to 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 execute on this campaign um they need to have sort of a core team when you, which when you think about the you know the the art uh metaphor uh you know so awareness probably have somebody from corporate comms okay we need to drive revenue so is there some you know, field marketing digital marketing etc that that's going to be helpful for that building trust so do we have customer marketing or do we have a customer experience team do we have somebody who who's responsible for you know our relationship with our customers um you know, which obviously could include sales, uh, and then you know we've got the the uh, enablement part. So you know, marketing may not own enablement. So uh, you know, is there an uh, enablement training team? Is there a sales enablement team that you would work with? And that kind of becomes the core team, in addition to probably having someone from like a marketing ops who can help you with yeah. you know the analysis and measurement of 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 what you're accomplishing and then also someone from product marketing who's going to help with the whole persona development, the needs messaging, et cetera, that that's kind of like the primary input to this, uh, into this, you know, this enterprise. And then, and then, you know, there could be an extended team. So there could be people from other functions, uh, you know, that are, that are not necessarily uh, on the inside, but they're, they need to be informed and consulted sales ops, you know, industry marketing, et cetera. You know, obviously this depends on the nature of the campaign, your organization, who, you know, who's definitely on the core team versus who's, who's on a more extended team. But, but uh, you know, it is definitely a cross-functional exercise that, uh, uh, again, you're trying to get everybody on the same page, and so building the proper team, having the executive support, uh, and having it managed by somebody who you know really can make the organization work for them is uh, is essential to the success. And is that is that campaign manager? Where does that campaign manager sit in the in the regular that, marketing team? That is, um, you know, in companies I worked with, sometimes that global campaign manager was the, uh, the team of campaign managers that kind mm-hmm. of sat separate from other functions. Sometimes that was somebody who was really strong in a digital marketing team. Somebody in uh, could have been somebody in marketing ops. That's kind of more like. You know the planning coordinator, uh, uh, you know chief of staff type person. Uh, so it can sit in a variety of different functions, um, but because this is a day job, uh, not a sideline, not a sideline, mm-hmm. is you want to make sure that they uh, they have the leeway to put a hundred percent of their effort by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so often it ends up moving into a global campaign team that that is uh, that this is what all they do. Right, right, right. So you've got like somebody sort of sitting in the middle of this web of activity that you're doing that's coordinating all of this. And also, yep. I thought it was interesting there, you were saying about product marketing are responsible for the persona development and messaging. Is that the typical thing that you've seen in the past? That's the, the 
typical. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we, you know, oftentimes yeah. we use product marketing to be the yeah. stand-in for solution marketing, you know, uh, portfolio marketing. Uh, and sometimes people yeah, in product yeah. management are actually the people that are doing the more product marketing-like functions. So it, it there's a you know little bit of distinction based on the organization. But but yeah, yeah that's that's we typically. We should yeah, have we should have a discussion about persona. Yeah, different thing, especially when you talk about product management. When they get involved with personas, it's typically the users, and they have a different yep. view, don't they, to, to the yep. buyers? Okay, and so those are the first um, three steps you were saying there. So define the customer need for the campaign and, and and drill that down. Determine the business goals within the segment and create this campaign team underneath the leadership in a way, in a matrix way, I guess, under a global campaign manager. <laughs> Excuse me. What's the fourth? Is uh, what's the what's the the budget source, um, mm-hmm. and what's the target? And you know, as yeah. I as I kind of alluded to earlier, is that you know, that, yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer is the CMO says, you know, we're just going to allocate X number of dollars to you know mm-hmm. uh, a small number of each of a small number of campaigns. One of the the challenges there is that so many, I mean, most every organization I either worked for or have been advising is that they do their budgets from a functional perspective. So the head of Corpcom has a budget, the head of digital has a yeah. budget. And, yeah. and so, so now you've got to either create something that is, um, uh, that cuts across those functional mm-hmm. areas and says, Oh, by the way, you know, uh, digital, you're contributing <laughs> X percent of your budget to this campaign. Uh, or you give it all to the campaign, the global campaign manager mm-hmm. for him to allocate out, uh, that the one of the things, and actually, this is you, you know, I know a year or so ago we talked a lot about like things like marketing resource management tools. I mean, one of the great yeah. things about tools like that is you can easily put things in several from a budget perspective, put things in several allocation bu- bu- buckets. Right. Excuse me, um, so that it makes it easier to do this kind of you know cross function functional yeah. uh, budget management. But well, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, I, yeah. oh. The other thing, the other thing I was going to say is that this is because campaigns need to evolve. Is that this is one of the things that you you should be aware that you want to allocate something initially. You you, you may end up having to uh, evolve it. You know, ramp it up, ramp it down. You know, based on results, based on what's going on with the business. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I was uh, we're running out of time, but I was thinking that um, for way way we're talking about. Um, cross-functional budgets surely if you're creating a campaign driven from the center the digital marketing you do needs to fit in with that campaign right so really you're setting a you're setting a messaging framework so the folks in in the social team or other team are pulling on the same resources right so it doesn't yeah, so it's it not gets, just about budget, it's about their execution of it. Yeah, and it gets to be a big challenge with global organizations where you know, U.S. has got a budget, France got a budget, U.K.'s got yeah. a budget, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so, okay, what's my <laughs> what's my yeah. share of this global campaign? Am I in on this campaign? Do I really care about this campaign? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that the challenge there is that how do you ladder that up to the goals and the motivation of those folks that are going to uh, pitch in on this campaign? Cause it, cause absolutely. I, I, you know, I've worked with organizations where the different – the, those different functions got got measured differently and rewarded differently, and then therefore, you know, for them every uh, every every to their hammer, everything was a nail. If it's digital marketing, social, or ever, right? Because they right. have their own metrics, and, and if, everything that comes from corporate is 
yeah. shite. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it just it just doesn't stick because it doesn't yeah. help them achieve what they need to achieve, right? Yeah, so that's absolutely. It. All right, mate. So um, let's uh, next. We didn't talk about the weather, but we haven't got time. So <laughs> it's back to and it's miserable winter. So um, this week, uh, so I now need to go to the song. So I know what song we're going to choose because we're. Um, we're playing tribute to a lost guitarist this week, aren't we? We're yeah, one of my uh, favorite guitarists from from uh, way back up until just recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was playing just last fall. Jeff Beck, uh, mm-hmm. certainly, um, all of the other great guitarists are, have been putting up accolades about how unique and how um, mm-hmm. groundbreaking he was through his whole career from back sixty five, whatever, and so. One of his uh, most downloaded songs from, uh, at least according to Spotify, is Because We've Ended as Lovers, which has nothing to do with the topic, has nothing to do with our relationship, Lee, Ian. <laughs> it just, it's just a great song. And so uh, we decided let's play out with that. Yes, absolutely. So in tribute to Jeff Beck, we're going to go Because We've Ended as Lovers by Jeff Beck. From 1975. I don't know. There must be. I mean, come on. We're both marketers. There must be a way of spinning this that it sounds relevant. But (laughs) all right, mate. And um, there's so much here that we kind of some rabbit holes we could dive into. We we teed up a lot. Should I pop by the studio next week? And absolutely. Let's give one of them a go. All right, mate. I look forward to it. I'll see you then. Bye bye. Cheers, buddy. Bye bye. Jeff and in tribute to the passing of Jeff Beck this week that was a little bit of cause we ended as lovers from 1975 not a tune I was familiar with but as some of you may know from our previous episodes our Jeff knows his way around a guitar so as in all things I trusted his guidance there and if you could use some marketing guidance why not give Jeff a shout I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes or contact us through the website rockstarcmo.com Right, time to go backstage. My guest, having studied music, English, literature and earned an MBA, Aaron Templer is an unapologetic eclectic. A 25-year marketing leader, he is a marketing firm owner, three over four, a professional instructor for the American Marketing Association, an occasional speaker and professor and a hobby percussionist. His firm speaking engagements, teachings and writings are at the intersection of strategy, creativity, brand influence and leadership. Some call him the Gora Dolwalla, I recommend you check that out in the link in the show notes. Aaron published his first book, Leading in a Social World, in 2001. It's a six-time award winner and, as one reviewer put it, turns our perception of social media marketing on its head. And this week, he joins me on Rockstar CNN. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Aaron, how are you? I'm great, Ian. How are you? This is, this is so fun to be on with you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I like the way I said just now, I'm going to click on record and I'm going to say, welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Tell us a bit about yourself. And then I asked you a different question. So for folks that haven't come across you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I've, uh, I have a small boutique agency in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, are full service and... Um, 
kind of differentiate ourselves, I would say, around values. And we look for clients that, that share values and mm-hmm. um, that, that we have, but also just wanting to, I guess, work with, with good people, surround ourselves with good people. So nice. that's kind of our, our position, if you, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I um, recently wrote a book that has uh, <laughs> been a really fun journey to kind of yeah. learn about and go through. It's called Leading in a Social World. And, um, and I also am just kind of a, I use this word polymath, which yeah. um, I think my wife finds too arrogant, so <laughs> I need to come up with a new a new word. But I have just a lot of interests. I'm a hobby percussionist. I do I, I work for myself primarily, so I can be scattered with my interests and yeah. focus. I yeah. just have a lot of different interests. So yeah, you mentioned being a drummer, which is which is brilliant because quite often on this show we come across I come across musicians that I never knew were musicians until I start talking to them, or people that started their marketing career through trying to promote the band they were in mm, you know, and it yeah. just kind of inspires them to marketing. So, um, what, so is, is that the inspiration for you as well as being a musician? Where do you see the tie in? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Actually. I think it's, <laughs> for, in my life, it's a nice split, you know? Yeah. So in the projects that I get involved in, I actually try not to do anything on the business leadership or marketing side, right. just cause it's uh, it's a nice place for me to escape all that. So um, <laughs> I've been involved in some projects where people want me to, and um, I help them find <laughs> the right people to do it. Um, <laughs> but I think getting started in marketing, and I don't know if you wanted to dive into this yet or not, yeah. but when I started in marketing, I think um, I was encouraged by the amount of creative souls that seemed to be gravitating toward that discipline and so i probably had it probably had something to do with me becoming a marketer indirectly because you met creative people yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there were creative people there but then the more i got you know sort of knowledgeable about business there's just as many programmers that are really brilliant guitarists and you know you'll find (laughs) you'll find musicians everywhere across the professional uh, sphere but i think i I was liking the writers and the designers and the people i met you know on the marketing side Right. Well, let's let's tell this order. Let's tell this story in, in in the order that I intended, which is let's start off with your agency. It's called Three Over Four, right? And yeah. and and this is this is very appropriate to this conversation and to the fact that our show is called Rockstar CMO. Tell us about the name and how you came up with your, your agency. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, doing business under my own name for a long time, and mm-hmm. then decided once it became more of a team to sort of brand it. Um, and the first, I mean, the first thing I would say about three over four is that we just liked it. We thought it was sticky and we thought we could create a brand and it was sort of ours and there weren't a lot of agencies with that kind of, uh, name to it. Uh, but the, but the sort of name origin story, I guess, is that it's a polyrhythm three over four. So mm-hmm. when, when musicians think about rhythm, there's space and time. And if you play a certain amount of prescribed beats within a specific space, um, that's a rhythm. And then if you put a different one on top of that, that's a polyrhythm. So if you play three ah. beats in the same amount of time as you play four beats, that's called a three over four polyrhythm. Right. Um, and I think, it's, so yeah, there's there's definitely some music inspiration behind it. And I think it just <laughs> sort of ties into our you know strategic DNA. I think that's what strategy is, kind of taking different or seemingly disparate data and making richer meaning out of it. And that's kind right. of what a polyrhythm is. Right, I, I, I love that story. And when when you um you when you were talking about the agency at the beginning, you were saying you 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 cho- you chose um to work with people with purpose, work with good brands. Where do you tend to specialize? Is it B two C, B two B? Is it you know US? What 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 sort of what's what do your clients look like? Man, I wish I could answer that succinctly when people <laughs> ask me. I don't have a, a smart, sharp answer for that. It really has been. 
I've, I've worked with B2B companies. We've worked mm-hmm. in higher ed. We've worked in law. We've worked in B2C. We've done work for nonprofits. Nice. I did work. We've done branding work. We do a lot of brand strategy work um, right. and then also digital marketing. But our, our roots are kind of in brand strategy and naming and all that good stuff. And we've done that for a you know, gluten-free commercial bakery. We've done that for a B2B company that makes... Um, carts all over the world for where you buy hot dogs and beer at football games or what have you. Um, we've done, um, work for, like I said, higher ed and, and some really special nonprofits. So it's really, it's really spanned the, the gamut there. Do you, so do you find that the sort of methodology that you bring to sort of brand strategy works across all those businesses or do you find that you're sort of reinventing the process with each different category you go into? That's a good question. And I think, I have a model that I present mm-hmm. when we're talking. So I think it gets us traction, yeah. um, the model so that, you know, we can sort of put a bow on something and say, this is what we deliver. And it gets a, a little bit more tangible for prospective clients. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very flexible and I'm a flexible guy, so I don't necessarily <laughs> stick to it. And I definitely yeah. think it's, it's customized for, for different, for different brands. I think right. That's that's necessary, right? Some brands need a new name. Some want some sort of character involved. Some right. might need more positioning than others. Some might need, um, you know, some differentiation in a really crowded field. So we we definitely flex that. I don't know. Right. I, as a CMO, like, do you find that these models work for you and 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 sort of the guidance you give other companies, or is oh, there? Wow. Do you have to stay flexible? <laughs> You're gonna flip it. Um, well, <laughs> I'm a, well, for me, I think because uh, I, only, I only really know one industry, which is B2B tech, um, B2B marketing. So for mm. me, and, you know, and we're not doing video, but behind me are a billion marketing books, which is how I educated myself from, because my background is technical. And then I became a product man- manager, product marketer, mm-hmm. and then CMO. So that was my strategy. That was, sorry, my trajectory. Uh, but what I what I find is absolutely, you know, it, it doesn't matter what B two B category you're in. There are certain models, certain ways that you need to work that I think come are common across a lot of agency models. A lot of what's included in these books behind me, you know, there are certain things that you need to do. And I, so I'm, I, I completely go along with you that you can say, well, I can have a model. I can I can apply it to all these diverse industries. I haven't had that diverse experience myself, but I can imagine how that would work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You also have a Steve McQueen poster behind you. That's very cool. <laughs> Surprising for someone in London. <laughs> I do. And I also have a Mustang sitting on my drive. So. Oh, that's why. Okay, that makes sense. A, a 2005 Mustang, which poor thing needs some, need, needs some TLC. But yes, I do have, I do have nice. a Yes. Um, so, um, what, mm-hmm. let's get back to you anyway. So, okay. um, aside from your work with agencies and with, with brands, you're also what I'm going to describe as a marketing educator because you've worked at the university of Denver and for the American marketing association. Um, and we discuss marketing education quite a lot on this show. It does come up from time to time. What's your view? I mean, how do you feel? I mean, I've already revealed myself as a self-taught marketer. What's your yeah. view about people taking a formal marketing education or being self-taught? straddling kind of answers, but I think there's real value. There's real value in both. It's sort of like when, when somebody proselytizes the need to travel in order to be kind of more awakened to the world. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of, you know, jerks that travel, right? So <laughs> it's sort of, it's what you, it's what you do with those experiences, yeah. I feel like. So I think that there's mm-hmm. been, a, there's a lot of brilliant marketers that come from an academic background. And there's a lot of like brilliant marketers that have zero academics. Mm-hmm. I think when I've done my, you know, adjunct professor stints, that's very much on and off. It's just sort of a, a hobby more than anything. Um, yeah. it, it, that has always been about how do I bring the real world into this situation? And then I've, I've brought academic studies into client engagements as well. I think right. that there's value in research and a lot of things that the academic side brings as well. So it's, yeah. it's, it's both. Can I straddle the fence on that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think there's, um, yeah, I mean, there are people who pontificate on this stuff and take a very clear view that, you know, marketers need an education. That's what's fucking wrong with our industry almost, you know, uh, like quoting right. somebody like Mark Ritson who would say something like that. But um, I know I agree with you. And I also think we need to be lifelong learners because I think a lot changes. Whilst, mm. uh, whilst I think, as we were saying just now, some of the principles remain the same and you can have a framework. I think you need to continue to stay up to date, haven't you, with, with what's, what's going on. But what I also like there is what you were talking about being an adjunct professor, because I do get a sense that the, that the education, the formal education system is feeling that it needs to get industry people to come in and give that perspective. I've been approached by a marketing professor as well to maybe come talk to his class. Uh, so that's a, that's good news, isn't it? I think so. I think, yeah, uh, yeah the, you know, the, the, the college that I, I really enjoyed teaching for is a Metro State University mm-hmm. of Denver college that's much more kind of a, um, a transient, what they call it, commuter school here with a lot of kind of older students, first-generation oh. students, super rewarding. People really value it. They're there to – they're not entitled. They just really want to get a lot out of it. Um, and I've found that that they appreciate sort of the the actual world experience that's brought to the classroom, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what they want. And so it's it's very rewarding. But I'd also say, Ian, the flip is is true. It's probably why I enjoy teaching more than the reward I get out of it. That way is yeah. that that old saying that you 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 don't really know anything until you try to teach it, oh, and yes. it, to force yourself into that discipline of articulating things yeah. that you take for granted every day is incredibly valuable. Yeah. It really challenges biases and challenges your own like my own you know self inflated self sense of importance. <laughs> right. So I, I love that part of it too. That's <laughs> your wife's view of you as a polymath, right? You've got this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I also find that sometimes when you write something, if you, even if it's a blog post or something like that, you sort of have this sort of test of yourself. Oh, I'm, I sound a bit like a cock here. You know what I mean? Like I really got to try and no, ground yeah. this in. It's really easy to pontificate. And I do it all the time, pontificate about what marketing should do. It's much harder to then say, well, actually to get to that point is you need to do these things. And I imagine that when you're with a group of students, you can't just say, hey, this whole thing's broken. You've got to say, right. here are the ways to fix it. This is what you've got to do, right? I think so, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. also the idea of like the kind of back to basics, you wrote a cool blog post about that, the branding basics, yeah, kind of going yeah. back to those basics. There was this, when I was going to music school, there was this drummer that everybody wanted to play like, and they couldn't, he was doing all these crazy polyrhythms and all this crazy technical stuff, and everybody <laughs> yeah. couldn't wait for his first like tutorial video to come out. And when he did, he shocked everybody and said, let's go back to basics because he sees people wanting to leap over to where he is at. And I think, I think, yeah, going back to that challenges us to make sure that we're we're grounded. And that's what I liked about that blog post you wrote. I dusted off my LPs and and went (laughs) along with you on that. (laughs) Thank you. And then um, your work at the American Marketing Association, is that similar to, to what you were doing with, is that teaching classes and stuff like that? 
It's been a mix. I've been a volunteer for them at the national level. I was the president of their professional chapters council, which is basically an advisory board on the professional side. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's way oversimplifying kind of what we do. Um, (laughs) And that was sort of a six year stint of, of national volunteer. I was a chapter president here in Colorado, but I'm also a professional instructor so just kind of on call, they'll they'll call me up and we'll do stuff. I've done everything from content marketing to digital marketing strategy to um, I did an anti-fragile marketing uh, class for them. So just all kinds of things. And it's like I said, it's very much just when they call and it's a blast yeah. to, to learn, yeah. learn and meet a, a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And so is it, I mean, because I'm here in the UK, I'm not in So we have something called the Chartered Marketing Institute and we've got some other places where one can become a member and, and improve mm-hmm. yourself. Is that what the American Marketing Association does? Can marketers join and then and, and get into these sorts of programs? Yeah, that's, that's one of its functions for sure. There's yeah. a lot of different, you know, benefits from the like discounts to these education courses right. and they have seminars and conferences and all of that. I think a, yeah. another value at the local level is the networking that goes on. And, um, you know, the local programming really facilitates a lot of local networking that mm-hmm. I think that's really where the gold is for the American Marketing Association. They have local chapters all over North America, Canada and, and Mexico City. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. That sounds that sounds really interesting. Anyway, we should get to your book. You meant, you touched on it just a moment ago, Leading in a Social World, which I've only just started, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I love marketing books and I'm delighted you sent me a copy. Thank you very much. Um, so I can't, I can't, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't ask you lots of questions about it because I'm no, excited. No, it's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but what inspired you to write the book in the first place? And I, I, as regular listeners will know, I, when I talk to authors, I'm always saying, I think so many of us have got a book in us, but so few of us actually go do it. So what, in, what inspired you to go do it and write this book? That's a good question. I, I've been kind of dealing and living with the content of the book for a long time. I, yeah. When I was... My, my last job before I launched my own business was uh, directing marketing for a business school at the University mm-hmm. of Denver, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and leadership was really at the core of what we did. And so I was neck deep in that as any you know marketer worth their salt needs to do to really get yeah. to know the, the product, right? And um, I remember watching a TED Talk by uh, Clay Shirky. It's like a mm-hmm. 2000, whatever, two or eight or something. I mean, it's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> TED Talk where he said that it, it was talking about social groups and how they form across this, this new burgeoning social web mm-hmm. and said that it's not the technical capital that matters when it comes to influencing and moving groups in these spaces. It's the social capital. And that mm-hmm. t- that something clicked in my brain because I'd been studying all this leadership and social capital is very much a leadership piece of piece of acumen and and knowledge and it's skill that leaders can learn and i never looked at marketing frankly but certainly the social web the same way since Um, we move and and influence people in social constructs very different than the way we market to them Um, and effectively anyway Mm -hmm. and marketing to people in in these social constructs is actually a fool's errand and i've got a lot of data in the book and research that kind of backs that up and i think we've just built up as marketers biases over the years to not look at the data in an honest way and so i've been kind of you know practicing this certainly but also lecturing on it and presenting on it and all that for a long time and then uh you know the pandemic hit we weren't traveling i wasn't playing any gigs so i had a little bit more time and i wrote the book (laughs) i love it yeah i mean i'm a little bit into it and i'm really enjoying it so far so i will recommend that people take a look and i'll include links in the show notes what do you what what's um what do you hope that is the key thing that people um will take away from the book 
I, you know, at a minimum, I hope that uh, the people are willing to challenge their biases as it relates to social media marketing. That's the key thing I find. Like the breakthroughs come with those that I've that I've had positive interactions with with the book and with this topic. When, um, yeah, folks are willing to let go of, of biases. Um, and then the second thing is, I hope we as marketers elevate what, our thinking about what it is we do. I, I think yeah. we often think about clicks and data and uh, returns, uh, you know, from from an email uh, that we send out. Uh, so we're kind of in this tactical world when really what mm. we're doing is influencing. And we yeah. can think if we think of ourselves as leaders, both in terms of how we lead within our organizations yeah. and taking a, a position of responsibility for society, um, but also in terms of how we influence, how we go about influencing, we can learn a lot from the leadership discipline. So right. I, I gave you two things. I hope that was okay. Yeah, so I cheated no, on your cool. question there. That's cool. And also, what I mean, as I, I mean, I've confessed I haven't read the book yet, but I will say um, what you were talking about there, that it sounds like you're talking about the fact that we as Marxists are like consumed by things that we could measure, that we can, you know, we're chasing the clicks and the links and, the, and all that kind of stuff. This influence and leadership thing is a different thing. It sounds like it's a bit of a leap for us marketers to do that, right? Because it's not so measurable. Yeah, not measurable, but also, Ian, we just don't take the time to educate ourselves in this right. space. I've found that marketers spend a lot of time at marketing conferences, a lot of time with the classes on digital marketing and tools and clicks and how, we're, how we do what we do, even storytelling and advertising tricks mm -hmm. and um, consumer behavior. But what we don't spend time with is leadership. We don't right. send our marketers to leadership conferences and right. emerging leaders programs. We just lack that sort of dis that acumen. Um, as a dis as a leadership discipline, and I've learned, I have to tell you, I've learned way more from the leadership discipline about how to influence and move people to do something than I ever have from the marketing world. So I feel like it's it's both what you're saying, this obsession with with measurement, maybe, but also we just don't, we're just not trained yeah, yeah. in that area. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I really like this idea of portraying what we do as marketers as I mean, we are encouraging people to change. We're encouraging people to do something they're not doing right now. It is leadership. So I think that's really interesting. Yes. No, that's fantastic. Oh, gosh, look at the time. Well, I've got to get to our final question. Oh, um, sorry. I'm, I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, no, no. This has been a joy. This, I think what I should do, actually, I should read the book and then have you back on and we'll talk about that topic in more, more detail, I think, because that, that's... That sounds like a fascinating rabbit hole for us to go down. But I'm going to go to our final question, which is we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portals of marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on and overhype trends that plague this industry we love. And you're a drummer. You chuck things in swimming pools, right? What would you chuck in? Yeah, we were talking about that before we um, connected. <laughs> I, I love that, that notion. Out of the hotel room and down three stories into a, into a, into a swimming pool. It. That's awesome. I, the easy way out for me would have been to say social media marketing because that's what my book <laughs> does. Um, but since we touched on that already, I want to get a I'll get a double uh, dose, I guess, or whatever. Um, I'm going to take, and I know this has been a while since this TED Talk has been out, but I want to throw into the pool the notion of the start with why this Simon Sinek really? sort of fad, yes, <laughs> that marketers still seem to be obsessed with. <laughs> um, I think it's time to put that into the swimming pool. I think, um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to, as you read the book, I, I take Simon Sinek to task in another way, too. So we'll, nice. we'll, we can talk about that if you have me back. Um, oh, but I think that the start with why is way too internally focused. Mm -hmm. And what marketers and branding specialists especially need to be focused on is we need to get to the why it matters. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that this start with why obsession gets us way too focused internally. And, and we need to start thinking about, it doesn't matter, Ian, that I do great things. It matters that I do great things for you. And yes. as marketers, we have to turn yeah. that corner. So why it yeah. matters is a lot more important. There's this, this guy here in Denver, actually, his name is Jerry O'Brien. He's a marketing speaker dude on the circuit. And he talks about, you have to get to your because, which I also like. Right. So more important than the why it's the why it matters it's that it's that because, because. so I'm, I'm throwing i'm throwing start with why in the swimming pool <laughs> that is um that is the most iconic thing thrown into the swimming pool i think since <laughs> uh, i think uh, keith one of one, one of keith smith one of the a, a, a guest i've had on a couple of times he threw in um the, the quotes from glengarry glen ross you know the always be clear and all that stuff right he he yeah. threw he threw steve baldwin basically into the rock <laughs> so, so there's two icons in there the simon sinek and, and uh, sorry alec baldwin is, is in the pool so they can keep each other's company so i think uh, i think that's that's going to be an interesting debate and, I, and when i read your book i think we should return to that about why we're chucking him in and then my final final question is when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you aaron yeah, I'm at AaronTempler.com, and I should probably spell that because not only is it double A-R-O-N, but mm-hmm. also for you know our London or England audience, it's <laughs> Templar with an E-R, not A-R. So these Knights of Templar are, are, uh, are always tripping me up. So it's uh, yeah. Temple with an R, AaronTempler.com, and there's a LinkedIn and a Mastodon link on, nice. on that page or uh, on that site. Maybe, so. we should, maybe we should have touched on that, the, the whole Mastodon thing. But yes. I will, I'll actually connect with you on Mastodon because I've just started experimenting Okay, myself. let's do that. But yes, and I'll include all of your links in the show notes. Thank you very much for your time and I look forward to having you back and we can talk about the book some more. Ian, thank you. This was a blast. It was really great to meet you. My Cheers. privilege, absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. I really enjoyed that conversation. Another great guest that I need to have back on. And I will, of course, include all of Aaron's links in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, over a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, 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 and welcome to the bar. Oh, what is, what have you, what have you done to the bar? I, I, it, is this an airport? I, I think you've, you've, have you added, you must have added, I can hear the, the announcers announcing gate change. You've got a few gates here for, for air, air, it's just, it's, it's amazing what you've been able to do in such a short period of time to transform this into a regional airport. Um, yes, um, but welcome to London Heathrow Terminal Six. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're in a, you're in about the right spot actually for for a for yes. for a for a, a new terminal for Heathrow. Yeah. Yes. Well, I felt like you know because this is our rock star CMO virtual bar, and we transport ourselves everywhere every week. I thought it'd be cheaper just to bring the airport here. I see. You should, yeah. As as they say, bring the mountain, right? You know, just yes, you are absolutely you are bringing the airport right. There. It does make things quite convenient for today's travel to be able to travel Have from the bar to wherever you need to be. So, um, yeah. Um, well, yeah, abs- absolutely, all completely planned and not sprung on me at all, Robert. Yeah, indeed. 
Indeed. <laughs> oh, <wait a> minute. <laughs> so in yes. our little airport lounge, uh, what are we drinking? We have a lovely little yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. bar here with uh, with all, everything going <laughs> on. Um, we've got a lovely drink for this week. Uh-huh. We have uh, now. This is something that I discovered again while I was on break, but it was a it's a wonderful uh, sort of a hybrid cocktail, if you will. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I did the research on it. I ended up making it sort of just trying it out. Um, but apparently it's actually got a name and it's called a Martinez Ooh. and a Martinez apparently, um, although I made it slightly differently, um, but I'm going to give you the classic Martinez, uh, okay. recipe here because I ended up making it based on the classic recipe and liked better, liked it better than my improvisational, um, mm-hmm. idea. Um, yeah. it's kind of like a Manhattan, but, and you're going to be really pleased to hear this. Uh, because it, it is actually something that you may have in your desktop Ooh. bar there. It's made with gin. Uh, oh. It starts okay. with gin, and then it's got – so it's basically one part uh, gin or two mm-hmm. parts gin if you're if you're feeling yeah. particularly randy. Um, and then uh, one or two parts sweet vermouth, very much like you would make a martini. However, okay. then you add, uh, if you've got it, some sort of – liqueur and now what the wow. recipe calls for is a maraschino liqueur so it's mm-hmm. like a cherry liqueur uh, yeah. but you could add an orange liqueur you could add just about anything you'd like to it that's how i started to to improvise with it and then of course a little bitters uh like you would add to a, a manhattan uh, mm-hmm. and then with an orange twist so it becomes sort of gin vermouth a little bit nice. a very small amount of a your favorite uh, liqueur, orange or cherry mm-hmm. flavored or something like that. And then an orange twist. And it ends up looking a lot like a dark Manhattan, but it's not, it's this gin drink that is just absolutely Sounds lovely. Great. And of course it's just shaken and poured into a martini glass, yeah. like a martini. Nice. Well, um, yes, I have, uh, I shall attempt to make that very drink, uh, with, uh, only the ingredients of my desktop bar as we normally do. And, as the regular listeners may have already guessed, I have gin. <laughs> Fantastic. So I have the most uh, ginist of gins, a nice bit of Hendrix. And you said if I'm feeling randy, I should put two lots of gin in there. So I thought I'd do Yes, that. that's right. <laughs> you used the word I didn't. I'm not making it. Well, I think randy has a bit of a different connotation <laughs> in the UK than it does in the US. <laughs> Yes, and uh, I am going to lean on my friends who don't sponsor the show, uh, Fever Tree, for a a little bit of uh, cucumber tonic uh, water in in there, and uh, instead of because that everybody knows that is the best way to get a the most English of orange twists into your glass. I see. Yes, the cucumber. Let me give this a try. Mm. that is delicious, Robert. I could drink one of these every week. Ah, fantastic! <laughs> and I, where I are we going to be? <laughs> where are we going to be drinking these martinis? So we're going to go. And as I started uh-huh. to really understand the, when I went and looked at the the history of this drink, yes. um, the the classic drink of the martinis. Apparently, it comes from a Northern California town called uh, Martinez, California, wow. which is uh, on the coast. Uh, mm-hmm. of, of Northern California. Uh, and um, uh, it's a, a wonderful place. So it's Northern California. So this time of year is going to be 
you know, a, a little cooler nice. or a little damper, as it were. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 right up near um, San Francisco, um, and so it's 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 there about. But it's lovely. The views are beautiful of lovely. the beach, um, and we can uh, we can actually. Uh, see it from there. Of course, it's in on the bay, basically mm-hmm. uh, near the San Francisco Bay, um, and a really wonderful place just to sit and drink these very odd martini-like drinks <laughs> um, and chat about the world. Well, isn't that interesting? Because last week we had Manhattan's. Well, one of us did, and um, we yes. we did, chose not to go to Manhattan because of the filthy weather. But a bit of Northern California sounds lovely for these martinis, martinis, martinezes. Well, if we get bored in Martinez, we can always just hop on the freeway and go down to San Francisco and, and Absolutely. See, what's, see, what's, see what's doing. So while we're um, sitting, looking over the bay, uh, uh, and our thoughts turn to marketing, is it marketing this week? What are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about brand. Um, oh, and always it, a popular topic. It's, a, it's something that I have been thinking a bit about of late because... A few of the clients that I've been dealing with have been launching new content properties, mm-hmm. blogs, resource centers. Uh, even one is launching a magazine. So it seems to be back in vogue, um, even despite the uncertainty of the economy, that there is some real interest in operating and looking like a media company and starting to launch these platforms. And the question that has inevitably come up between a couple of the different Mm -hmm. folks that I've talked to is how much do we, you know, do we use our brand as part of the name, right? We're going to give it a name, right? Whether it's the the magazine name, or it's going to be uh, the resource center name, or we're going to launch an online learning platform for our B2B uh, customers. Should we use our big brand, our big company name and brand as as the name, or do we come up with something completely different, right? Yes. Completely that no one would know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's really interesting question, um, and it and it reminds me very much that today, while it's really difficult, it can be really advantageous to you to use a smaller boutique brand because the ability for you to grow it as sort of an artisanal custom built yes niche brand is a little easier than it used to be i'll give you an example of this right so a few years ago this was going back to 2017 <clears throat> unilever uh they did this experiment where so t- are you familiar with suave shampoo yes Yes. yes. So <laughs> okay. Suave Shampoo, not the highest end brand, right? Let's just be honest, right? It's not a very high end brand shampoo, but they yeah. did this really cool experiment. You know, you usually buy Suave at the grocery or the mm. drugstore or something like yeah. that. It's not yeah. something you're going to find at your hairstylist. <laughs> All right. um, but they, but they did, they repackaged it and they repackaged it with the product name uh, Evos. Uh, which sounds very German, of course, but it's E-V-A-U-S, which, as if you were clever enough to figure out, is suave spelled backward. And, yeah. and they repackaged it in this very slick, minimal design, and then they doubled the price. And they started to go out to influencers, micro-influencers, mm-hmm. social media influencers, and ask them to test the product. And, wow. you know, spoiler alert, the joke, of course, is that the influencers thought it was the most amazing shampoo ever. Yeah. Um 
and that they would be, of course, it's a game changer. It's the, it's the way that you should treat your hair and all that sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah. there is some benefit to thinking about your brand and the baggage that it may have or the leverage that it may have mm-hmm. in making the decision of whether you're going to, to use your brand in this, in this, uh, in this new platform. And of course, there are reverse uh, of of that um, uh, available as well. Tons to unpack there, but the key is is that it's not always the right decision to use your big brand, and it's not mm-hmm. always the right decision to not use your mm-hmm. big brand. So when you're thinking about this, when you're thinking about launching or acquiring some content brand, or you're figuring out how you're going to deliver value through this new content platform, whatever it may be, this digital magazine or this email newsletter. Um, the key is to start to think about what is your ultimate objective here and the, and how might you separate it, the value mm-hmm. from your brand, from your existing brand to make it to give you the advantage of it being different. In other words, very much like what Suave did, the insight that they got from that was that it's it's more it says more about the Suave brand than it does about their ability to launch something new. Yeah. So really understanding where you're trying to drive that value with that audience that you're going for should give you the right insight of whether you should use your uh, use your brand mm. or com- or create something brand new. But in either case, what you remember you're trying to do is create a differentiated value for your company, not something that is just uh, an adjunct to what you're doing existing way. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I think th- this would be a multi cocktail conversation. I love this conversation um, because I think when you're creating a, a content property, you want that to be trusted as a as a content source. You probably That's right. want, and and certainly where I work, which is B two B tech you know, our brands aren't trusted in that same way as, as, as well, some brands are, let's say some brands are, but most brands aren't trusted as content purveyors, right? The assumption is that we're trying to do some kind of Jedi mind trick and sell something to you. So I think that my, I tend to, I tend to advise that you create a new content brand if you're looking to, you know, create those kinds of publications. So I'd be interested yeah. in, or trusted in the way that in the trusted for the value that you want to deliver right yeah not doing anything underhand it's just that you know you want an audience that's going to look at that brand and trust it for the content rather than look at that brand and trust it for the product exactly yeah 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 exactly or or have any perceptions that you are uh you you know you are or you're trying to pull one over on somebody right yeah yeah. In other words, a great example of this is the you have to earn your way into that trust. Yeah. The, the the example I often use with that is Starbucks, mm-hmm. which they did that whole program. This is going back a few years now, which turned out to be a real big fail, which <laughs> was have the equality and diversity discussion with your barista, right? So they started mm-hmm. to they created the hashtag and then they started yeah. this thing where they were putting all this content on the cups like you could talk about these things and they actually did the work right they did, they they went out and did the work hired the trainers yeah. really did did a a number of things that you would consider like right and proper to prepare for this 
but the brand didn't have that level of trust. And so when you started to hear about Starbucks wanting to have this level of conversation <laughs> in the coffee shops, yeah. there was a healthy skepticism because they hadn't earned it yet with the audience. Yeah. They'd earned it with their employees, but maybe, but, but, yeah. but they had not earned it with <laughs> the audience yet. And so that's the, that became the challenge is that yeah. you're not yet there. So having a separate content brand do that might have been yeah. an easier climb for them. Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen the opposite. I mean, you know CMO.com, right, in the olden days? Sure, yeah. And and I remember writing for CMO.com, even though, and CMO.com, for people that don't know, is owned by Adobe or used to be owned by Adobe. I don't. It, they still do, but they don't use CMO.com, do they? It's now just the Adobe blog. But it used to be that um, all sorts of industry people would write for this publication. Sure, even competitors, them, yeah. Yeah, some of them, like me, were competitors. And yet yeah. we, we engage in that community because we trusted the CMO.com brand. Um, we probably wouldn't write for the Adobe blog, right? We would write for yes. the CMO.com. So, and, and that's, you see the opposite with that because Adobe kind of. It's a, it's a great, it's up. a great example. It's a yeah. great example because ha- having followed that as yeah. closely as I did during the life yeah. cycle of it. Yeah. The reason that it, you know, it, it CMO.com was an amazingly independent, yeah. wonderful, valuable yeah. site, yeah. Yeah. you know, run very much like a thought leadership site mm-hmm. should be run, an independent thought leadership, and gave Adobe an incredible level of brand trust in, in, as, yeah. a, as a result of it. And access and, to a community. And, and the interesting thing is that when they, they ultimately slowly killed it yeah. by introducing more of the adobe brand into it it's you know because they slowly started to introduce only adobe writers and then they started having only adobe writers only talking about adobe and then they turned it into a lead generation thing for their events and then once it became that then it became very uninteresting and not a very great contributor to those things and they killed it entirely so the 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 funny thing is, is that if you if you ask "quote unquote" Adobe as an institution, <laughs> you can ask people that work at Adobe, and they'll tell you very yeah. different things. But if you ask the institution of Adobe, they'll say content marketing didn't work for them because wow. it wasn't providing value. Yeah. And the the real answer to that is no, you just weren't applying the value in the yeah, correct yeah. way. You just yeah. didn't you just didn't measure correctly. Yeah. Well, CMO.com came from one of their acquisitions, wasn't it? Wasn't it the web analytics tool that they acquired? I think, Correct. Way back? Yeah. Yes, it was the uh, Omniture acquisition yeah. that got them to yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And um, and I, I mean, when it was CMO.com and it was truly independent, I used that as a model for a number of content marketing um, uh, uh, projects that I did. One of them you and I worked on at the beginning when I was with SDL, and we used that as, and it works because you know you get you get influencers and thought leaders who would never write for you as a vendor will write for a publication even if they know full well it's being driven by the vendor because of the community you create on there yeah it's 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 an amazing thing when you deliver value how much people actually appreciate (laughs) it well that's that's splendid i mean like i say mate i could talk about this over a number of cocktails i love this topic um, and where, where, what are you seeing with your clients? Are you seeing a balance that some are choosing to use their own brand and some are choosing to create new brands? Or uh, I am, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, here's <laughs> what I'm seeing. I'm seeing it still being a hard haul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's, uh, 
it's a big political discussion more than anything <laughs> else because the brand people tend to resist it yeah. um, because it doesn't fit into a neatly into the brand architecture yeah. and but product people are into it and senior leadership wants it. And so yeah. it's a very, it becomes not really a business discussion as much as it does a political discussion right. uh, of who will own it <laughs> if it is associated right. with the brand. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a mixed bag, I have to say. Yeah. Well, you got, I mean, it depends on the project, right? But you are creating an owned media channel that you can advertise on. And that's different from, you know, that should, you know, that's a different, project isn't it than than people that are looking to create leads or whatever from that content immediately right so anyway yes like i say i could i could i could carry on with this conversation for another god knows how long but i should let you go and where when people are looking for a hub of of great engaging non-branded content where might they find that well, you'll find us at contentadvisory.net, which is our little home uh, away from home mm -hmm. on the super information highway. Um, <laughs> it's We're sharpening our message there. So oh. as one does in the beginning of the new year, we always try and uh, basically uh, try to, uh, you know, sharp make our garden cleaner as it were for the beginning of the year um yeah. but uh as we as we do that that's the best place to get a hold of us Splendid. and when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking for you robert where are they going to find you uh they'll find me increasingly on uh linkedin which mm -hmm. is where we're doing most of our things these days yeah. on a social media basis and then of course we have our little community experience advisors.io which is on yeah. discord uh which if any of you want to come on over we're having yeah. some fun conversations on discord uh as much as one can have fun on discord because it sucks <laughs> as a platform um yeah. but it's uh it's the best we got so far <laughs> and uh, we've renewed we've really renewed our energy around that splendid all right and i'll see you over in discord and will i see you in the bar next week of course you will <laughs> i look forward to it mate thank you very much i'll see you then Thank you, Robert. We'll have a conversation with a brand on this show. Some wise words there as usual. So that's a wrap on episode 149 of the Rockstar CMO Epping Marketing Podcast. Apologies again for my voice this week. Thanks to Jeff, Aaron and Robert for sharing their insight. And to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO everywhere or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark will be back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with the CMO of the Veterinary Emergency Group, Leslie Semigran, and Robert Rose will be back in the virtual bar. Until then, have a great week and I hope you'll again join us here again next week on Rockstar CMO F. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.